This is it, right here. Uh-huh. Then you gotta add some of the little tricks. Ah, ah, you'll be swinging. Uh-huh. Right. It's the Daniel Glass Show on Drummer's Resource, offering a deeper look into Daniel's unique take on music, drumming, and life. Philosophy, motivation, musical deconstructions, and conversations with influential voices in the music industry. Hey everybody, it is Daniel Glass. I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Daniel Glass Show here on Drummer's Resource. And uh, you may have noticed that it has been a while since you've heard from me. Yes, it's been a while. Uh, I was doing this for several years on a regular basis, but life has just gotten so insane that I'm now dropping a podcast on a limited basis when important things matter. Uh, and I'm, I'm my efforts are to try to join you on a more regular basis again as we move forward, so hopefully that will happen. But I'm happy to be back with this special episode, and uh, I guess what I'm going to talk about today is uh, something that is is a large, you might say a large uh, aspect of, of what I do in the world, which is, you know, what do I teach? And for those of you who have been following me for a while, you know that I have a, a very active private student, uh, you know, practice, a, a private teaching practice. I, I work with anywhere from 10 to 15 students a week usually, but it's very intensive um, and it's it's a, a very big part of my life that I don't really get to share very much about because it is private, private lessons, private students. But what I want to do today is to talk about my private teaching a little bit more in the context of of sort of philosophically how I approach what I teach. Part of the impetus for this is that I'm right in the middle of um, launching an online course. It's my first online course since the Shuffles course that I released at the beginning of the pandemic in uh, around March of 2020. Um, and this is a this online course is sort of the summation of many many years of taking what I do with my private students, organizing it into some kind of larger philosophical conceptual system, you could say. And so I'd like to share that with you today. Uh, one of the, the important parts of putting this online course together and, and launching it and trying to explain it to people is that I had to name it. I had to define it. You know, there's so many elements to the way that I teach. Just just to give you an idea, um, as as a as a teacher, I'm sort of I, I guess you could say I'm a pioneer when it comes to online teaching. I started uh, my online practice. I was out in Australia doing the Ultimate Drummers Weekend out there, and an Australian guy said, uh, "Hey, man." you know, you want to do a lesson with me? I said, yeah, great, let's do it. And I've done this kind of thing for a long time. It's very common. You're out traveling. Somebody, you know, wants to have that in-person lesson. And at the end of the lesson, it went well. And he said, I'd really like to study online with you. And I had never thought about that. But I said, well, you've got Skype. I've got Skype. Let's give it a try. And that was probably around 2011 or 12. Um, So, it's really flourished since then because like so many now recently realized, well, I realized that 11 years ago that if you, um, if you, you know, try it 
and you jump in, you see that it's possible to work. But of course, there are certain limitations that arise when you teach online. You can't be in the same room with the person. You can't physically manipulate them, which is something that I really, um, you know, like to do, move the arms and legs around so people can feel things. Um, And so I had to try to figure out ways to overcome these obstacles with, you know, where, where the student could still have the same experience. So one of the things I did is I began to screen record videos for the students of me doing the exercises. And over the years, that has grown and grown considerably so that when you study with me, um, you get a personalized email reminder at the end of every lesson covering all the things that we did in the lesson. Uh, and there are links to the exercises we worked on. So you can, while you're practicing, go back and review those and, um, you know, watch me demonstrate them. There Also, every email reminder includes extensive notes. It's kind of become a monster now. I'm sending out these huge emails to every student after every lesson. But the, the point of that is that you get very personalized attention. You get very focused notes on exactly what we covered in the lesson. And it really allows the learning process to accelerate. Students aren't trying to remember what they covered. They're not trying to remember all the fine points. And I have the students print these out and they kind of turn them into a journal. And so some of my students have been with me for three, four years. Most of my students, once they get into it, they really get into it and they stay with me for quite a few years. Um, They sort of have a journal, a very detailed week by week or lesson by lesson journal. So it's worked out great. My library of of videos that I used to demonstrate is quite large. And then I started to screen record the lessons as technology improved as, you know, you could could be on Skype or Zoom with somebody and you could record pieces of the lesson. And I began to develop a huge library, which is really pretty big. It fills up a four terabyte drive. But of videos of the lessons themselves, which often would be very helpful to the students. So rather than writing notes down, I would say, well, let me take this piece of our lesson and I'll put that up as an untitled or or, um, uh, what do they call it? Uh, Unlisted video on YouTube. And you can, you can watch that so you could see the process of the actual lesson. So time goes by, I'm building this library. I'm building sort of these step-by-step exercise by exercise methodologies that I would introduce now to new students. So a new student would come, I, I created a, a a file that's now, I think if I printed it, it'd be 140 pages or 150 pages single spaced uh, that has all the exercises. And I would take the notes and I would, you know, turn them into uh, sort of this, this giant file. And uh, so, you know, generally when a new student comes to me, I'm able to cut and paste from this giant file whatever the exercise is, whatever they're doing. And then as they get more into it, they they maybe head into a rudimental direction or we do the feet or we do the balancing or we do moving between surfaces, you know, all these different elements that I work on. So, you know, as time went on, I was sort of like, man, this has really become a system and it's really pretty unique. And my students really seem to love it because they stay with me for a long time. And I, you know, the way I teach, it's, fairly in-depth. It doesn't mean that what we're working on necessarily is complex in the traditional sense. I'm not giving people complicated things. So anybody, I I work with total beginners and I'm happy to do it 
because to me, total beginners are a blank slate. The exercises and the way they work, you're not, it's not as if you're getting more and more complicated independence. It, what happens is I'm teaching these motions and these movements and feeling things happen. For example, pulse in your playing or the idea of a tap or the idea of a stroke. Um, these sort of fundamental pieces, these elements, and slowly kind of putting them together. And, you know, a lot of these ideas were first introduced to me by Freddie Gruber, who was my teacher from uh, January of 1992. Like the minute I got out of music school, I called him up and I studied with him fairly intensively until 1996. Um, and that really laid the groundwork for, you know, how I began to see the drums. Uh, and then I was on the road with Royal Crown Review for many years and didn't study at that time. Then when I came back, when things kind of cooled off and I was back in LA on a more regular basis, I studied with Bruce Becker off and on for a few years in the early 2000s, which really helped to clarify. And Bruce really, for me, brought much more advanced stuff into the process and helped me to just clean up my act. But what I've done as a teacher now has really moved to the next step, which is I've run with all of this stuff on my own. And most importantly, I've tied it in deeply with the historical work that I do, because what I feel is that if, you know, we can't think of what we do when we learn as simply, well, these are just some, you know, arm and leg movements. And, you know, if you want to play funk, then look at these patterns and learn these patterns. It doesn't work that way. If you want to play funk, you need to understand what was happening in the world of funk and why the drummers made the choices they did and what they came out of in order to come up with their 16th note, um, you know, uh, syncopated, you know, phrases. What, where does that come from? What And how are they, you know, how do the limbs break down and what's going on there? And so, you know, I always apply those historical ideas. And of course, if you want to study jazz, well, I take it all the way back to when jazz first emerged in the 1920s. If you want to study funk, I understand how that fit in. If you want to study rock, I know what that emerged from. So having the historical uh, background really added a lot to my element of teaching. And I took this idea of reverse engineering the motions, which is something that Freddie Gruber did so brilliantly. But I feel like, you know, and I know that, you know, every teacher, when they've been teaching a long time, develops a system. And if they have success with it, then that's great. So I'm explaining mine to you. I'm not comparing it to anybody else or saying it's better or worse than anybody else, but I'm sharing it, you know, with you. So this idea of tearing things apart and breaking them down is something that I, I started out with Freddie and then I've really, as a teacher, like run in my own direction with it. And I don't really know what direction other people have run in, but, but this is mine. And what I, what I really, when I was confronted with putting the online course together, you know, it was sort of like, well, how can I define what it is that I do? What I do is massive. It's 140 pages, single spaced of exercises and concepts and philosophies and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so how do I define that? And I really began to think, well, what is it that I do that's kind of different? Because my students say, well, Daniel, you know, everything you do is so, um, like, outside the box. Nobody teaches this way. I've never thought about drums this way. And I said, well, what, what is it that I'm doing that 
gives it that outside the box quality. And what I began to come upon is that what I'm really teaching is diff- what makes me different is is that instead of teaching patterns, I'm teaching motions. And that sounds very oversimplified, and it is because there's an enormous explanation. But let me try to break it down for you sort of in a, in a simple way. So our entire lives, think about all of the books you've studied out of, maybe the lessons you've taken, maybe the online courses you've watched, or the videos you've seen of drummers teaching stuff. I'd say 95% of the time, what is being taught are patterns. In other words, you know, this is what your right hand will do in this circumstance. This is what your left hand will do. This is what your feet will do. And we're going to write something out. And it's got the R's and the L's and the, and the K's for kicks. And get your arms and legs to do this. And, and if you do this, then what you are creating is a groove, a certain kind of groove. Maybe this, it's a funk groove or it's a jazz groove or, you know, whatever. It's a beat, a pattern. Um, or, you know, it's a fill. Or it's a rudiment. Or it's an exercise out of the Ted Reed book, right? So what we, over the years, when we study in this manner, we begin to think of all drumming as patterns. Everything is a pattern. Everything is rights, lefts, and kicks. And that our brain doesn't go any further than that when we think about learning the drums. We immediately just go, okay, oh, I want to learn something. What how, what pattern does it break down into, right? And so... What I will call this, what I would call this method of learning is what I would, I would call it a pattern-based system. And what I realized is that when it comes to, you know, because in addition, in looking at the history, one of the biggest things that I've tried to understand is what are, you know, throughout history, what are the commonalities that drummers have been doing that have made them successful? What are, what are the things that, it doesn't matter what era, what style, what period of time we're in, what are the things that drummers are doing that is connecting with the audience, that people, that makes it memorable, that we go back and say, well, Baby Dodds, what made him great? Gene Krupa, what made him great? Joe Jones, what made him great? You know, Clyde Stubblefield, what makes him great? Uh, you know, any, any era, what is it that these drummers are doing? And generally, yes, you've got your shredders who have amazing chops. But for the average person, they don't care about what pattern is being played. What they care about is what that drummer, how that drummer makes them feel. Okay, so great example is Steve Gadd, right? And it's probably he's a drummer everybody knows. We could also say John Bonham. Let's take two examples. Great rock drummer and a great sort of jazz, funk, all-around drummer. Why are these two names so legendary? Why do we always mention them? You know, and yeah, they both had amazing chops, okay? But they didn't, the chops is not what, you know, is not why Led Zeppelin sold millions of records. And, you know, this the solo on Moby Dick. I guarantee you, your average person, when they dial up a Led Zeppelin video, it is never the solo on Moby Dick. That's for us drummers. And we think, oh God, the solo on Moby Dick. We focus on that, right? But, the average person listens to a Led Zeppelin record because it makes them feel good. It connects with them on a deep level. And I always like to say this, that that every one of us has a perfect rhythmic drum machine within us. It's called our heart. 
our heartbeat. And as long as we've been alive and even before we've been alive, we have had this perfect mechanism inside us that keeps perfect time. I mean, maybe some people have an arrhythmia or something, but the vast, vast majority of us have a perfect timekeeper inside of us. We understand rhythm literally at a deep level, deep, deep inside us, inside our DNA. And we know when something connects with us, right? I call this like what John Bonham does, John Bonham does, or what Steve Gadd does. I call this the golden groove. And for years and years, without even thinking about it, if I would see some drummer like James Gadson or Ash Sohn or uh, you know uh, Clyde Stubblefield or uh, um, uh, 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 Booker T and the MGs, Al Jackson Jr., right? You know, I, I would see these drummers and they would have an impact on me that just their groove would blow my mind. It would make me want to put down everything I was doing and just be drawn to them. I remember I saw Jimmy Cliff one time open for Stevie Winwood back in the 80s. And okay, Jimmy Cliff, reggae. You know, I, I, I liked reggae, but I don't, I don't know if I'd really ever seen a heavyweight reggae artist before. And I remember the pocket of Jimmy Cliff's drummer. I don't know who he was, obviously a Jamaican dude. I was like, I was just below. I was like, I can't believe that a human being is creating rhythm this powerful, right? So I just, in my mind, developed this term. Well, so-and-so's got the golden groove. You know, so-and-so's got the golden groove. I never, you know, it's something that I feel like I'm spending my life working towards. Uh, You know, Steve Jordan, you watch Steve Jordan. As soon as he puts that beat down, you're just like, how the hell, right? And these are grooves mostly that the Gads do or the Bonhams do. We learn these grooves. The, you know, the transcriptions are out there everywhere, right? You can pull up a transcription. You can pull up a video, somebody teaching you how to do it. But most of us can't make it feel that way. And this is something that has always intrigued me and is a big part of what I teach where patterns don't make it. They don't answer the question, what makes the groove feel so good? What makes it the golden groove? What makes it connect with that heartbeat that the audience has so that people are riveted, right? And so for me, you know, I'm a I'm known as a jazz and swing drummer, but I play all styles of music. I'm hired to play all styles of music. And I, you know, in my studies and in my teaching and what I do as a drummer, I work a lot in the swing, you know idiom. And so I really began to dial in what it was that was, you know, important, what what it was that I needed to focus on that was going to, if not give me a golden groove, at least, at least help me to connect with my audience. You know, and I, we had some success with Royal Crown Review, uh, but I really started thinking about these things in a much deeper way uh, after those years, you know, And when I was more of a freelancer and then it was like, crap, I don't have the security blanket of being in a band full time where, you know, if I don't think about groove today, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to get fired. or I'm not going to, you know, get aced out of the gig by somebody else who is thinking about groove. So when I had that that time and I started teaching and I started working with my students, you know, often when you have students, you're trying to help them with their you know, get, get their thing together. And I, you know, my teaching practice grew, especially after, um, I moved to New York and I, I had this, 
uh, online revelation. Well, then I were tromping through my apartment, coming into my little office. I couldn't really have a full drum set. And I began to work it out with these online students. And more and more of them started showing up, and it really became a, a teaching practice. And so in working with so many students around the world, I began to understand the, the issues and the commonalities of breaking down groove and understanding groove and concepts, by the way, like pocket and feel, which, you know, is drives me up the wall. I've been in this business for 30 years. And since day one, I hear these comments like, you can't teach someone feel. They've either got it or they don't, right? They're either born with it or they're not. You know, there's sort of this mythology that someone like Steve Gadd, I mean, and you know, granted, Steve Gadd has an amazing natural feel, but he didn't, he wasn't just granted with some kind of talent that fell into his lap. You know what I mean? He, he worked his ass off to develop his natural talent. So I'm trying to figure out how to, to, to dispel this, these myths, you know, that, that somehow a golden groove is only possible for people who have some kind of God-given natural talent. And the rest of us are just shit out of luck, basically, uh, that we'll never get there. Uh, and I think, you know, what, what I came upon is that most people are barking up the wrong tree when they try to improve their groove or try to get to, to their groove. And by the way, this golden court, <laughs> by the way, the course it, that's, that's I'm registering people for right now is called Finding Your Golden Groove. So I took the idea of golden groove and I sort of made that the title of the course. The course is about groove. And even though I'm a jazz swing guy or known for that, the course actually takes a rock groove, the most basic rock groove that um, that we all learned the first time we sat down at a drum set, and it reimagines this groove, and it breaks it down completely, and it has us work on it in a completely different way, which is the way that I work with my students. So I'm getting to that, to finally the name that I came up with to describe what I do as a teacher. So what I realized is, and I've realized this for a long time, I'm not the kind of teacher that teaches patterns. I honestly could care less about patterns. Uh, number one, because you can find a million lessons about patterns already out there. And patterns are just patterns, you know. I mean, yeah, there's sophisticated patterns. There's cool patterns. There's, you know, important patterns. There's, you know, the, the, the five patterns that will, you know, blah, 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 blah. But the point is, if you don't, if you're not, understanding what to do when you learn those patterns, then those patterns aren't going to mean anything because they're not going to connect you to your audience. And to me, this is the much, much more important issue when we are teaching somebody. What are we teaching them? It's a very similar, uh, similar to that analogy. You know, if you, if you give a man a fish, he'll have a meal. If you teach a man to fish, he can feed himself forever. So the analogy for me is if you give a drummer a groove, one groove, then they will have a piece of knowledge. If you teach a drummer how to groove, then they will have a skill that they can bring to every single pattern that they play and they will be employable, right? So this is my thought process as a teacher. I don't care about patterns. What I care about is how we create, how we connect with our evolution, how we tap into what those masters of groove have done, you know, from baby dods up to bonham up to ash Sohn today what are they doing what are they doing that 
makes them connect so deeply, not only with drummers, but much more importantly, with the average human out there, an average person with an average heartbeat who doesn't know anything about music. Why does Steve Gadd get hired by all these high-level people in Japan? Why does he get hired by James Taylor or by Shaka Khan or by Chick Corea? You know, he connects. Every time I listen to Steve Gadd, a smile comes on my face. I feel good. It makes my day better, right? These are the things that the average person is looking for. That's what they're looking for. So how do you connect what you're doing as a drummer to what the average person is looking for? In my own life, for example, people say, well, Daniel, how do you know this? I mean, who made you the expert? Well, I look at, you know, it took me a few years. I moved to New York in 2010 and it took me a few years to get it together. But the last four or five years, I've worked over 200 gigs a year in New York City, one of the most competitive music environments on the planet. And why? I don't have chops compared to a lot of drummers. I have chops. You know, I can get by, but I am not a chops drummer. And I hate myself that I'm not because I don't have enough time to practice my chops. And I really wish I did. I want chops just as much as you want chops. Trust me. I want to be able to play burning, you know, trade trading fours with the best jazz players in New York City. But what I get hired for, which is, and I spend all my time working on this because I'm always working on it with my students, and I believe that it's the answer to so many of our issues. The reason I get hired is because my groove feels amazing. It feels good. It feels good to my audiences. It feels good to my fellow musicians. And the kind of compliments, I say this over and over, and I probably have said it before on this podcast, but the kind of compliments that I get when I get up on the stage or at the end of the night, and I just had my gig at Birdland last night. It happens every week. Man, that just felt so good. That felt so good. I was mesmerized by what you were doing. You know, and I'm doing something simple most of the time, probably. Fellow musicians, I really liked playing with you. It feels so good. Bass player looks over, gives you that smile. That's what you need to put all your time and effort into. And unfortunately... The drum and the drum education industries, as such, don't give us enough of that message, right? We intellectually get it. Everybody says, well, groove is the most important thing. And yet, when you get on YouTube, all you get sent are videos of, you know, shredding drum solos or people doing extremely complicated things that are amazing to watch. But what good does that do you to get you to where you want to go? You know, so most drummers end up spending a lot of time working on patterns and working on fills and chops and things that impress them as drummers. And they are sort of lost when they think about what are they actually supposed to be doing when they sit down at a drum set. So these are the things that I teach. And in looking over all the exercises and my approach in dealing with my students, and I actually talked, I had some roundtables with a bunch of my students that are, you know, close with me. Um, and what I finally came up with is what, if, if we consider that the norm in drum education is what is called a pattern-based system, then what I teach is called a motion-based system. A motion-based system. And essentially... When I look at a new student, the first thing that I see uh, is how are they moving and what are their limbs doing, not only individually, but in conjunction with each other. 
uh, how are they, you know, what's, what is the, uh, you know, I use the term interdependence, right? We we know what independence is. Independence means I'm going to learn a groove or I'm going to learn a fill. You know, this hand does this pattern. This hand does that pattern. This other hand does this other pattern. The, the, each foot does its own pattern. And, um, you know, can we do all those independently of each other? And that's great and it's important and we all need independence as drummers. But the next step, which... Unfortunately, most drummers, again, don't go there, is interdependence. So, in other words, how's my right hand and my left leg moving in conjunction with each other? When I add the left leg, does my right hand pattern change? Does it lose the in, the uh, intention of what it's supposed to be doing? Does it get watered down? You know, so we only think about, well, I, I got it to do this, this pattern on this limb and that pattern on that limb. Well, now you got to go back. How are they working together? Are you a well-oiled machine that is in sync with itself, right? So what I have put together, and I'm going to keep this kind of short because I don't want to get too into the details because I have created a six-part video series all about groove, which I've created in advance uh, of the course. Um, and, uh, I want you to go check out this video series cause it, it, it's very organized and it really details in six videos what it is that the motion based system is all about. And it has visual aids and lots of, you know, it's, a uh, the, the, the series came out great and it really describes, um, what I'm about as a teacher. And I think what I'm about as a teacher and some of these, you know, you might call them outside the box cause I get people to think about, well, what are they doing when their limbs are coming up? Not when they're coming down, but when they're coming up. That's almost the first, again, I say, what are the first things I look at when I look at a student? You know, well, how is their setup to every down? It's the setup really in my mind that matters because the down, you have help in your down, right? We, we have this beautiful, perfect force called gravity. And we have these beautiful elements in our body called limbs, arms and legs. And those things are consistent, right? From day to day, the weight of your arm or leg is not going to change. Maybe over 10, 20 years, it does if you gain weight or lose weight. But your gravity is perfect, and essentially the weight of your limbs is perfect. And if you can focus on the up, right? I like to say it's all about the up. If you can really focus on the up and not even worry about the down, let your arm and leg simply drop being carried by gravity downward, you know, if you focus on the up, the down will happen all on its own. It will happen. And what that means is it will, if you just let your arm drop, right? If you just lift it up, hold it at the top and let it fall, it's going to fall the same way every time. You're going to drop into your groove the same way every time, okay? That's what, to me, pocket means. Pocket, you know, means two things. And I've talked about this in the context of the throw-up exercise, which is sort of my most fundamental exercise that I teach my students. I always start with it, no matter what style you play, because it defines what has made uh, music, popular music, so great from jazz, you know, early jazz in the 20s all the way up to hip-hop today, is this idea of pulse, understanding that pulse has two elements. It 
it should have forward momentum. It should make people dance. It should make people move. It should make people feel compelled and excited, right? That's that when we watch Gad. But at the same time, what puts the smile on our face is that that pulse feels laid back. So how do you make your pulse have forward momentum and also make it feel laid back? Well, the answer is in the up, is in how you set up the limbs so that you can let them fall. When they fall naturally and easily without us trying to force them down, then we achieve what we call pocket. It's in the pocket. There is space. We're not rushing to get there. Now, again, this is a, a bit oversimplified. In the video series I talk, I have a whole video about it's all about the up. And uh, I really encourage you, if you're interested in understanding Groove more deeply, to go check out this, this series of six videos. I'm going to put the link in the show notes. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out the other, the best way. I guess, uh, I think if you go to danielglass.com videos, danielglass.com forward slash videos, uh, I'll forward the link from there to the video series. So danielglass.com forward slash videos with an S at the end. All right. Um, so uh, that, I encourage you, if you're interested, you know, a lot of drummers, a lot of the students that have come to me over the years, they're frustrated. Uh, they have spent years working on, uh, you know, their grooves, their fills, their chops, their styles, their patterns. And at the end of the day, they still, it doesn't feel good. They listen back. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel relaxed or it doesn't have the right momentum. It doesn't have any pocket to it. Whether they're jazz drummers, rock drummers, it doesn't matter. I have students literally who play every genre of music, country, rock, funk, punk, uh, you know, hip hop, uh, R&B music, uh, rockabilly music, early jazz players, modern jazz players. I, I literally have, you know, I have every, every kind of student comes to me because what I teach is not based on funk patterns or jazz patterns. What I teach is based on movements, motions, pulse, flow. And these things, you know, rock emerged out of jazz. Uh, funk emerged out of uh, rock type of feel. Punk emerged out of rock. You know, like, like it's all connected. And as I said, I've looked at the long history and all these drummers, you know, that have this amazing pulse. It, it Well, you could just follow the chain from, from era to era, generation to generation. Same things are happening. So that's what I try to tap into is what are those same things? What are those elements that have worked in all of these different kinds of music? By the way, all of these styles of music have become popular all over the world. It's what I call the American pulse. And that's, I've talked about that in the podcast. It's a combination of, you know, African-American interpretation of European-American musical constructs, which goes all the way back to slavery. Um, and although slavery has a terrible, uh, you know, history and a terrible legacy, uh, the, the situation itself gave birth to the most amazing popular music in the world. And it's the reason why these, you know, music that comes out of America and out of the relationship of African-American and European-American, just to, to use very general terms, but we could say two traditions, uh, when those traditions collide, connect, you can, it, they both collide and connect. It's a positive and a negative thing in, in a lot of ways. And I talk about this in my Black Sounds Matter podcasts, which came out last year during the, um, uh, you know, during the kind of the upheaval in the wake of the George Floyd uh, uh, situation. But 
In any case, it's the end result has been amazing music that has captivated the world for over a hundred years. And so, what is it about that? About that pulse? About those styles of music? That's what I'm looking at. And I think I've come up with some pretty good answers, and it's framed in this context of the motion-based system. So I'm going to leave it here. Go to danielglass.com forward slash videos. danielglass.com forward slash videos in the plural. Lowercase videos. Uh, and check out this six-part series on Groove. I... Um, and I do want to make a plug here at the end because my course is the the Finding Your Golden Groove course. I'm super excited about it. It's an online course. Um, I went all out. I've been I filmed it back in uh, I shot it in April of 2021. It's now September. I have been working nonstop for six months on this. It's part of a much larger entity that I will be slowly rolling out called Drumming in Motion. And it's going to take everything I've done with my students over the last 11 years, take that 140-page document and turn it into a series of online courses so that you, you know, wherever you are in the world, if you're interested in this motion-based system, you can learn it through a series of online courses. There's a lot of amazing bonuses, eight amazing bonuses uh, that are worth over $3,000 that are going to be included if you get in to the course. I should say, by the way, the course is more than half sold out now. I've got a cap on it. Uh, and we're, uh, as a result of that, we're closing the registration uh, this Friday. So it's only a couple of days away. Um, but please check out this video series, whether you're interested in the course or not. I really um, am excited to finally be able to explain what I do literally in three words and then through the course of six videos. So one more time, danielglass.com forward slash videos in the plural, all lowercase. Check out the six video series. If you have any questions once you've watched it, feel free to contact me, daniel at danielglass.com. Any questions you have. Uh, and by the way, I should say that if you're in a financial pinch, you want to take the course, there's a four payment option. You could spread it out over four months. It's will cost you less than a daily cup of coffee. So very, uh, you know, very doable if, if this is what interests you. If you've been struggling with your groove for years, if you have not found the right solution, if patterns are not working for you. All right, so that's it. Um, Motion-based system, baby, here we come. I'm super excited about all this and uh, keep swinging. Have a beautiful day and I will see you in the next podcast. Peace. <laughs>